0: Almighty God, thank you so much for all you've given us. Thank you for this time we have together today. And uh, we do ask a special prayer for, for Nick and his family at the loss of his grandfather, uh, for Claudette and her family, the loss of her dad, that you just continue to work in their hearts and in their families' lives. And God, we know you are the God of all comfort, and we pray for comfort right now as you uh, be with them and be with their families. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me start with a little story here. It was a five-year-old boy named Jamal. (laughs) He was in the kitchen with his mother as she was preparing dinner. So his mother asked him, would you go in the pantry and get me a can of soup? But he didn't want to go in there because it was dark and he was scared. So his mother said, boy, go in that pantry and get me a can of soup. And he said, mom, I don't really want to go in there. It's dark and I'm scared. And she said, don't worry, Jesus will be in there with you. So he went over to the pantry and he opened the door and he looked in and it was dark. So he closed the door and he started walking back. And then he thought, wait a minute, I got an idea. So he went back over to the pantry, opened it up again, and he looked in there and he said, Jesus, if you're in there, could you hand me a can of soup? Now, (laughs) what was the issue for Jamal? The issue was, Was Jesus there? He needed to have the comfort and security of knowing if Jesus is there with me. Now, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. He writes to this young preacher, Timothy, who was his uh, apprentice, his disciple. As Timothy was leading the church, he's given Timothy this letter of direction for his church. Because he said, Timothy, if you're going to lead this church, you need to make sure Jesus is there. It can't just be you, and it can't be your show. This is about Jesus being there. And so he says, I'm going to give you some instruction to make sure, if you follow what I'm telling you, Jesus will be in the church. And in First Timothy chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 6, actually. Verse 6 through 13. says, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truth of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come... Devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift which you were given through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Paul told Timothy, he said, listen, devote yourselves to the preaching and the teaching of the scriptures. Not some new thing, not something you feel needs to be said, but of the scriptures that were there. And don't get caught up And all this foolish, guileless talks about myths and theology. I mean, don't get caught up in all that stuff. You need to focus on the scriptures. Now, why should Timothy do this? Look at what he said in chapter 2. Look earlier. So what is he telling Timothy to do when he says stay focused on the scriptures and all these things? What about the scriptures? Look at verse 1, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I urge you then, first of all, That requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in a godless, in, in our godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. That man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in his proper time. He said, listen, what I want you to do is to live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. All prayers, intercessions should be made for everybody. That means whether you like them or not. All rulers, all authorities, whether you like the president or not, you need to pray for the president. Whether you like your boss or not, you need to pray for your boss. No matter what it is, maybe that's what will help things change. Instead of complaining, let's start praying about these situations for people. He says, for everyone, so he doesn't leave anybody out. He says, we need to put prayer before God. Then he started breaking it down even more in his letter. Paul wrote to him to say, this is how men should behave. This is how women should conduct themselves. This is how the young people should treat the older people. He breaks it down. Why? Because we need to live a godly life full of holiness. Then in chapter 3, again, these are chapters for us, but this is just a letter. So you've got to understand, he's reading a letter that was written to him. But in chapter 3, verse 14... It says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. In other words, he says, Timothy, if you follow these directions and instructions I'm giving you in this letter, then people will live a godly and holy life. So listen to what I'm telling you, because I'm telling you how the church should be run, and what needs to happen, and if you do that, Jesus will be there. Now he tells them this, now as he's giving them all these instructions, all throughout this, then we get to a certain scripture that's kind of confusing for a moment. Let me read again, verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing these instructions so that if I am delayed, You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. But then he says this, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Now, he tells them all the directions. The older men need to do this. The women need to do this. The young people need to do this. He goes on and on. And then out of nowhere, he says, and then there's a mystery about godliness. Now, you're sitting there thinking, that just doesn't fit in all the instructions he's supposed to give. It's like if I start telling you, you know, one of the things in our FBI training was we went into a simulation thing where when you shoot the gun, you put a vest on so when people are shooting back, you could, look at that light. It's blown out. You'd be like, why did you stop? What is wrong with you? It's like you were telling us something, but then you stopped to talk about a life. That makes no sense. That's kind of like this. Paul is telling them, this is how you need to live your life. This is what you need to do. Oh, and here's a mystery for you. What? What do you mean there's a mystery for you? Uh, well, that doesn't make sense. This is what he's saying. Now, if we look closer at what he's talking about when it comes to a mystery, it will help us understand godliness even more. What is a mystery? A mystery is something that you just don't quite understand. If you understood it, it wouldn't be a mystery anymore. Just like y'all still trying to figure out what I was talking about when I looked at the light. Y'all like, what was he talking about? That's right. It was a point that I understood. If you can understand a mystery, it's no longer a mystery. Let me give you an example. Three men were talking in a hotel lobby. One of the men said... I will not believe anything that I don't understand. And the two men who were with them agreed. It's foolish to believe something you can't understand. Sitting nearby was another man who looked up from his paper and said, Gentlemen, on my ride here this morning, I saw some geese in a field eating bugs out the grass. Do you believe that? They said, certainly. He said, I also saw cows and sheep eating grass. Do you believe that? They said, Certainly. He said, well, do you believe that the grass, the bugs that ate out the grass helped the geese wings to become feathers and it helped the sheep to have wool and it helped the cows to have their skin become leather? Surely, yes, I believe it. He said, do you understand how it happened, though? No, I don't understand how it happened, but I believe it happened. See, this is what we got to understand. You may not understand every single thing that God does. But it doesn't mean you can't believe it and have faith in it. Too many times, I've even heard people say, if I can't understand it, I don't accept it. I've seen people live like this. Until I fully understand what's going on, I'm not participating and I'm not putting my heart fully behind it. And they may not verbally say that, but they show it in their life. Until you paint the whole picture and I fully see everything, I'm not getting behind it. Now, you got to think, okay, and those people call themselves Christians. There was a professor in a college, and one of his students once said to him, For me to believe in God, I have to have a God that I can understand. The professor looked at him and smiled, and he said, God refuses to be that small. If you think about it, God is too great for us to understand him. His plans we can't understand because he's not that small. You can't put God in a box. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. Look at what God declares about himself. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You will never fully understand God, because there will always be things about God that is a mystery to us. There's always, that, that's where faith comes into play. And you know, one of the things that's most challenging for people who say, I, I just don't have the faith. I just, I just can't have the faith. No, 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 no. The issue is, you want control of God. And you can't control God, so now the easiest thing to say is, I don't have the faith. You can have the faith if you give up the control. I appreciate Merwin's contribution talk. It's about giving everything. It's not just about money, but it's also about do you give your trust to God? Do you give your hope to God? See, there's a lot more than what money, than what God doesn't just want our money. We ain't got that much anyway, but he doesn't want just our money. He wants you, who you are, your heart, your life, your time. When you say everything, what's he talking about? He's talking about he wants your time also. Well, I give him my time. Yeah, but do you give them the best of your time? I most certainly do. Okay? Are you at church on time? You got me there, preacher. You got me there, preacher. <laughs> Look back at 1 Timothy, chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3. Let me let me go back and explain this, because I don't want to lose you here on this one. 1 Timothy 3, 16. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. So what is this mystery? Paul is saying Jesus is our mystery. Jesus is a mystery because, one, he was God in the flesh. Do we understand that? Absolutely not. I don't. Maybe you do. I don't understand how that happened, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Just because I didn't don't understand it. There's a lot of things I don't understand, but that doesn't mean it's not true. It says here in verse 16, he appeared in a body. Jesus appeared in a body. He was vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations. He was believed on in the world. He was taken up to glory. What is he saying? Jesus is a mystery because Jesus was God. He was with God in heaven, even the angels saw him. But he came down on earth in the flesh. He died and was buried, but he went back up, resurrected into heaven again. This is the mystery of Jesus. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, the real mystery is, how did he not ever sin? Ever. But that's not a mystery to Paul, because God doesn't sin. So if you understand he was God, then that mystery is over. Of course he didn't sin, because he was God. It's like, man, you look at this, you think, Jesus is the mystery that he's talking about. Look in Second Timothy chapter 3. This is all still my intro. Stay with me here. Second Timothy 3, verse 16. Paul tells us this. All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is not just a collection of books written by clever men. It's not just a library of thoughts. The Bible is an attempt to help us mold our lives, shape our lives so we can become godly, so Jesus can be present. If we are not living the way the Bible says, Jesus is not present. If the church is not being the way God says the church should be, Jesus is not present. Now the thing is, we can't point the finger, "Uh uh-huh, the church isn't this, church isn't that. Understand this, what is the church? We are. So for the church to not be what it needs to be means the people aren't being what they need to be. See, we're real quick to point the finger at some organization or something else going on. No, no, no. It comes right back at us. It's not about what the church is. It's about us. So how do we get right? We follow what the Bible is saying here. Well, what if I don't like that part of the Bible? What if I understand that part of the Bible? What if I don't want to accept that part of the Bible? You don't have to. But the Bible's not a faith. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, I like this part. All the blessings, floodgates open up and you get a hundred times as much. I love that part. But then there's some parts I'm not really excited about. You don't have to agree with it all, but you still have to obey it all. And see, that's the real issue. It's not a fast food restaurant where you have it the way you like it. The reason Paul tells us Jesus is a mystery of godliness is because Jesus is the final authority. Like it or not, he's the authority. His book and his church was bought with his blood. That's the end of the story. So whether we like it or not, the issue is, am I going to obey it and accept it? Even if I don't understand it, am I still going to obey and accept it? If you're not, that's fine. But you're not going to be where Jesus is. Jesus is not going to be with you if you're not going to obey him. That is what it comes down to. You can go to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, you can go to a Bible talk, you can even read your Bible every day. But if you're not living it out, Jesus is not with you. See, this is why so many people start to study the Bible and stop. Even though they see some things happening, they don't want to give up control. This is why so many people become a Christian, but then eventually fade away because things are so going good and they get what they want but then when it comes down to really living it out consistently uh, i'm not sure about that one. so you know what i don't want this anymore jesus is never gonna make you follow him it's always gonna be your choice but the choice comes down to am i willing to obey what the bible says See, there's no man or woman who has ever lived who has the right to alter or change one verse in this Bible. If we agree to this standard, Jesus will be in the church. See, if I just preached on just feel good all the time and just how lovey-dovey everything is, Jesus wouldn't be in this church because Jesus dealt with sin. You cannot read how Jesus dealt with sin and then not do it. That's impossible. Now, should we be encouraged and happy? Yeah, we need to be able to come to church and enjoy it and to sing and be happy. Yeah, we need to walk away feeling good, but sometimes we need to walk away being challenged. We need to walk away feeling a little kick in the mm. We need to feel some things sometimes. But too often, guys, a lot of times we have so much sympathy that we become empathetic for everybody and we tolerate sin. This is what he talks about in Revelation. Hey, you had a heart for him. You had him first. But then your problem is you tolerate wickedness. You tolerate the Jezebels in the church. He wasn't talking about outside the church. he's talking about you tolerated them in the church. We all know there's some situations that exist that need to be dealt with. But too many people are waiting for the preacher to deal with it. You got two on 457. That's not going to happen, guys. What is the problem? This is our church. Everybody needs to be the brother's keeper, the sister's keeper. We all need to help each other. Amen? But too often, Christians, even churches, fall into the trap of saying, I know that's what the Bible says, but... And that's where the problem starts. A denominational preacher once said, I know what the Bible says, but we've become more cultured than the church in Jesus' day. We've advanced to the point where we can make improvements on what the church was like back then. That's a problem. That's a dangerous problem. You know what that preacher's saying to the church? They're saying, we took a vote and we made a few changes to make things more comfortable. You ever notice that? There's certain people that want to like have a vote on things and let's all come together and let's all decide together. And I guarantee you, 99% of those decisions are the most comfortable decisions. They're not the most radical, what God wants to happen. When everybody gets to vote in on things sometimes, it's like, well, this is going to help us all feel more comfortable. Guys, it's not about our comfort. Jesus wasn't thinking about his comfort when he was being nailed to the cross. But too many times we think about our comfort. One Saturday, the custodian was disturbed to see a visitor enter through the doors and approached him. The stranger wanted to know if he could look at an organ which he had heard so much about. The custodian wasn't sure he wanted a stranger to get so close to their celebrated instrument, but he conceded as long as this man did not touch it. The visitor went over to the organ and lovingly took look at his beauty. And then he pleaded with the man to allow him just to play a short while. Annoyed, the custodian almost turned down his request. But something in the man's eyes and manner changed his heart and allowed this man to play. But only if he returned all the stops to the position when he finished. The stranger seated himself on the organ and began to play. Softly at first and then building to a powerful crescendo. The custodian was startled to hear such beautiful music coming from the pipes. And for a time, he lost himself in the flow of his emotions. All too soon, the organist was finished, putting the stops back again, and was walking down the aisle to leave. Wait, cried the custodian. That was the most beautiful music I've ever heard. What's your name? The stranger turned and smiled. My name is Felix Mendoza one of the greatest composers of that day. Commenting later to a friend, the custodian said, just think, I almost kept the master from playing his music in my cathedral. Sometimes we don't allow the master to play in his own home. Sometimes we feel, well, this is what the rules are, and this is what we have to go. We have to go by this structure. We have to do this, this, and that. And we don't let the love of God play in the congregation like it should. Guys, we've got to look at this. And we got to stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. we got to take that big, long tree out of our eyes while we're trying to get the little speck out of somebody else's eye. It's time for us to make sure we're, we're where we need to be. And you know what? We can help other people, but let's make sure we are where we need to be first and foremost. You're in a Bible study group, and you see your friends are not here. Do you call them up to say, hey, I didn't see you at church today? Now, maybe they're going to the Latin service at 1 o'clock. But then maybe you know they don't speak a lick of Spanish. (laughs) So, hey, where were you today? Uh, 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 Well, what had happened was, stop. Whenever they say, what had happened was, the next thing Is a lie. Look in Colossians chapter one. We can obtain godliness only because Jesus is the mystery of godliness. If we follow Jesus, we we can understand what godliness is all about. Following Jesus is not just coming to church. Following Jesus is taking church with you when you leave this facility. That's what following Jesus is about. And too many times people get it wrong. They think, I'm following Jesus because I come to church. You follow Jesus because you take church with you when you leave. And that's what he wants us to understand. And we look at that and say, well, I don't don't really get it. Well, it's a mystery, but you just have to follow the mystery on faith and take Jesus with you. We could obey everything in First Timothy, the New Testament, Sunday service, whatever. But if Jesus is not in your life, then you will never be godly in the eyes of the Father. See, God let his son down a cross so we can live. And all God is asking is, I want you to now replace my son that died for you. So when I look down, I want to look down and see my son, my daughter, and you. So when you walk out of here and leave, I want to see Jesus walking out of here and leave. This is all he's asking. And just like Merwin said, he's always watching. He's not just watching about how much you tithe on Sunday. He's watching about what you say to somebody on the bus. On the bus stop, what you say when you get home, how you act driving down the street when everybody honking at you, giving you the bird. He's watching. What do you do in return to these situations? What do you do when you get to work and they all having little chats about something that's very inappropriate? He's watching you. What are you watching when nobody else is home but you and you are on the television or on your phone and it's 1130 at night? What are you scanning? What are you surfing on the web? He's watching you. To see how are you outside of church. Because it's pretty easy to act like a Christian in church. All you got to do is sit there and say amen. Yeah brother. Preach on. Ridiculous. That's pretty easy to do here. But once you step out those doors and Satan is outside that door crouching waiting for you to come out. Gotcha. What you going to do then? My ride ain't here yet. My accessory ride ain't here. I ain't taking this thing no more. <laughs> Look at <it> us. <up. laughs> I start sweating all of a sudden. I don't know what happened there. Alright, let's close out with this verse. Colossians one verse twenty seven. Colossians one twenty seven. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the mystery Paul's talking about to Timothy? He says, you want to lead this church? Make sure Jesus is there. How can Timothy make sure Jesus is there? Is if Timothy is preaching to everybody about having Christ live in them. If Christ is in every member, then Christ is in every church. Is Christ here? That's the key issue. When you walk out of here, you need to check yourself. Can Christ live in this body? What do I need to confess to make sure he will feel comfortable coming into this body? What am I watching to make sure he feels comfortable in there? Am I putting bad stuff inside of Jesus? What am I doing? What am I talking about? From overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How do I talk to people? What is my demeanor? Is Christ living in you? That is the mystery you need to solve. If you're studying the Bible right now, Christ is not living in you until you make Jesus Lord. So I'm going to answer that question for you right now. That mystery solved. No, he's not in you yet until you get baptized as a disciple of Jesus. That's the first mystery done. Second mystery, just because you baptized does not mean he's still living in you. So let's make sure we understand that because we can say, yeah, I hope all y'all get baptized. I'm good. Are you good? Because you know what's going on inside of your heart and your life and inside your home. The mystery is Christ living in you. I'm not sure. Best thing to do is to get with somebody and talk it out. Look over these scriptures. Look over the word. Pray together. And just see, is Christ living in you? If you're not sure and you're married, ask your spouse. Guarantee they'll help you see something. You're not married. Ask your kids. Guarantee your kids will tell you the truth. You know what the problem is? Some of us don't want to ask. Because we know the answer. Oh, and then some of us is like, well, you know, there's a few things I got to work on. I'm working through some things. Jesus didn't work through the cross. He went to the cross. It says he resolutely set out. That means he was determined to set out and make it happen. So the issue is, I'm going to close this out here in a word of prayer. But when we're done, you need to ask yourself, is Christ living in you? Not am I baptized? I, I do not say that is Christ living in you. Because there can be some baptized people that don't have Christ dwelling in them. That's important to see. You say, are you sure about that? You can read the book of Acts. There's people that went through who only knew the baptism of John, but didn't have the Holy Spirit. It's all through the Bible. This is not a new revelation. You look at Judas. He was a disciple following Jesus for three years. But did he really have Jesus as Lord? Guys, I don't want you. I want you to walk out of here encouraged, but I don't want you to walk out here blind. You need to make sure you walk out of here realizing, you know what? I got to be on my P's and Q's. I got I got to make sure I'm I'm on top of my game here. Because this summertime in New York City and Satan is around looking for someone to pray upon. Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time we have to be together. I do pray that each of us walk away from this time right now making decisions about our lives. I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to trust more. I'm going to not get involved in any impurities. I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm being kind and gentle to my kids and my family. God, I'm not going to let Satan get me this summer. I'm not going to let him pull me away. I pray, God, that each of us walk away as a bunch of Jesuses walking out of this building today. Let us take our light out into this dark city and let it shine to your glory. Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.